On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we recap the Terps 1-2 and two opening weekend, sit down with Terps starting left fielder Caleb Walls, and preview the home opening series this weekend against the Maine Black Bears. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. As you heard, I'm Justin Galanti, as always joined by Connor Newcomb. And Connor, let's talk about the opening weekend down in Conway, South Carolina for Maryland. Wouldn't say it was a bad weekend. They went one and two, so that's under 500. Probably would have liked to go two and one or whatever it may be. However, there were plenty of positive signs for the Terps this weekend. Yeah, and I think some of the positives you start with really is the Terps bullpen and all of the different pitchers that Maryland brought on that trip to Coastal Carolina. Every single pitcher got into the game at least once this weekend. Some of them surprisingly got in twice. I mean, you had some guys out of the bullpen who did some very good things for the Terps, especially some of the newcomers and the freshmen, Trevor Labonte, Will Glock, Andrew Vale. Some of those guys showed what they can do. We saw a lot of promise from guys like Elliot Zollner, who had a couple of outstanding innings out of the pen. And I think that was big for the Terps. And then a couple of hitters kind of showed up and showed what they're going to be this year. Maxwell Costas got on base a bunch. Caleb Walls was on base pretty much the entire weekend. So it was a lot of the new faces for the Terps that had pretty positive spins on their weekends in Coastal Carolina. So it started on Friday with a game against Campbell that we knew going in was probably going to be a good close game. Campbell's a good team. They made it to the tournament last year, and they're, they were the unanimous favorite to win the Big South this season. And Maryland lost 10-6 in 10 innings. But I think if you ask the coaching staff, they would probably say that you know, the, the Terps sort of gave this one away more than Campbell took it from them. Yeah, and the Terps had that early lead. They jumped on the Camels those first three innings, had a 4 nothing lead in that one. And obviously that lead started to dwindle, and eventually after a big home run late in that game by Matthew Christian, it was all of a sudden 6-5 Camels. And obviously the Terps fought back uh, without getting a hit in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game, and then some things kind of got away in the top of the 10th with that big inning. But that was definitely a game the Terps could have, and maybe should have won against the Camels, especially with the impending game against Coastal Carolina the very next day. And that was a tough one to swallow, especially on opening day to start your season with a loss like that. And Maryland got off to a good start to the season. In the first inning, they had the bases loaded and nobody out. Only got one run out of it on a fielder's choice that Justin Vogt hit into. And I think that, you know, Maryland was up 4 nothing in the third inning. So at that point, we really weren't thinking about that first inning but now, you know, now that the game's over and you look back on it, I think something the Terps probably regret is only getting that one run in the first inning when they had the bases loaded and nobody out. And Michael Horrell, who was starting for Campbell, seemed to be on the ropes right away. Yeah, they jumped right onto Horrell on that one. Walls had a single, Bednar walked, and Taylor Wright with that bunt single, which I think he was trying for a sacrifice, but it was such a good bunt that he ended up loading the bases with nobody out. And then Vote swung at the first pitch, and that ball almost got through into left field for what would have been a two-run single. Instead, it was a nice play by the shortstop Jimenez to get that out at third base. And then the Terps still had a good chance, though, but a strikeout, a walk to load the bases. Then Maxwell Costas actually couldn't get the job done with the bases loaded, but he still had a very good weekend. But as you said, some missed opportunities in that inning. And the Terps still did come back in the second and third and made it 4 nothing. But you kind of look back to that first, like bases loaded, nobody out. 
on a guy's first start of the season on opening day with Horo, you wanted to get more across in that inning. Yeah, so after that first inning, the Terps got a home run from Caleb Walls in the second, his first home run as a Terp. Then Justin Vogt homers, a two-run shot in the third, so it's 4 nothing, and you're feeling good about things. Then after Hunter Parsons, the starter for the Terps, looked like he had really settled in. Um, he got a little bit leaky, I guess, in the fourth and fifth innings. He gave up two home runs, walked a bunch of batters, and it got to 4-2 by the time he left the game after five innings. And, you know, I, I thought... Hunter's start was sort of a typical first start of the season, if you will. Five innings, four hits, two runs. He walked three, struck out two. He hit two batters. And it was sort of like, hey, it was February 15th or 16th, whatever it was. He didn't look overly sharp, but he's your ace. He battled through five innings and certainly left the Terps in a position to win the game. And we said this a lot last season, and obviously the, some of the starts were different because Parsons got deeper into the games in just the five innings. But you look at that fourth inning, and he got the first two outs of the inning. He hadn't given up anything yet. And then he gave up a solo shot with two down. I mean, Spencer Packer just launched one into right field. And it was an 0-2 count. And it was an 0-2 count, a pitch he obviously would want to have back. And then after that, it seemed to rattle him a little bit. Couldn't find the strike zone, walked three in a row. But again, that sophomore year, Hunter Parsons, that's when things would snowball. But what he changed last year and what we saw again on Friday was the ability to settle down and make a big pitch. And he got a strikeout looking of Grant Harris with the bases loaded to end that inning and kept that lead intact at 4-1. to one. And he obviously gave up another one in the fifth, as you said. But it was still a solid first start. And you don't really expect a guy to go seven, eight innings maybe in his first start of the season. For sure. So when Hunter left the game, after five innings, the Terps were actually up 5-2. to two. In the bottom of the fifth, Taylor Wright had an RBI single. He had a big weekend. So the Terps are up 5-2 when they go to the bullpen in the sixth inning, and that's sort of where the mess started. Sean Hine was making his Maryland debut. Seemed pretty locked in at the start of that outing. Then there's an error behind him, and then he couldn't find the strike zone. He walked a batter, hit two batters. One of the hit batters brought in a run, so that made it 5-3. to three. And then in the seventh inning, the Terps went to Sean Fisher, and he obviously struggled. He hit a batter, uh, gave up a couple hits, and then he gave up the go-ahead home run to Matthew Christian in the seventh. So from 4 nothing ahead, the Terps went down 6-5 in the seventh inning. And again, um, it, was a, it was a little bit of a struggle for Fisher. So the Terps go down 6-5. Then they go to Elliott Zollner, and he did a great, great job through his first two innings of work. He was outstanding, the best we've ever seen him here at Maryland. Kept it 6-5 into the ninth inning, and then, like you said, without putting a ball in play, the Terps scored the tying run on walks and wild pitches. It was a wild pitch that eventually brought in the run. Maryland had a chance to walk it off in the bottom of the ninth inning, couldn't do so. Then Zollner has to maybe unexpectedly go out for a third inning of work, and unfortunately for him, he labored in that 10th inning, and then things sort of fell apart after that with Tuck Tucker and Mike Bastoria, three pitchers to finish a 10th inning in which Maryland gave up four runs. It was really unfortunate that Zollner took the loss, and the line didn't end up very good. Two and a third, two hits, four runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. But overall, Fuzz was as good as we've ever seen him, and then Obviously, things fell off the rails in that 10th inning, and the, and, uh, the Terps lost 10-6. Yeah, and that was obviously a great outing before that 10th from Elliott Zollner. I mean, the slider was fantastic. There were a couple pitches in that in those 8th and ninth innings where we were just flabbergasted in the booth. Like, how did that pitch move so much? Starting at a guy's front hip and ending up on the outside corner, just so much sweep on that Frisbee slider. 
that he's throwing from that sidearm slot that he had moved down to last season and, of course, didn't get really any help in the top of the 10th inning. It was a leadoff double from Tyler Anshaw. That's how it goes down in the book, but that was pretty much a lazy fly ball to center field that Randy Bednar just got a really bad read on and somehow let it fall in for a double as it should have been just a fly out the center to start the inning. He actually got a strikeout after that, so you're looking at that inning and you're looking at nobody on and two down, and that inning obviously goes a lot differently if the Terps can get that out to start the frame, and then obviously things kind of snowball on Zollner and Tucker and Basturia, and it gets out of hand. Obviously, needing four runs in the bottom of the 10th is tough to do, and that was obviously a tough break for Maryland. Then on Saturday, there's not you know, a whole ton to talk about with the game. Uh, the Terps, frankly, just got beat by a better team. Coastal Carolina beat them 7-2. to two. Zach Thompson made his first start as a Terp, and it was a huge ask to pitch on the road against a ranked team on a Saturday to start your career as a Division One pitcher. But Thompson uh, struggled. He gave up nine hits, five runs, two walks, and a hit batter in three and two-thirds, and the game was sort of over by the time he left. Daniel O'Connor, Billy Phillips, Will Glock, Andrew Vale, Mark DeLuya all pitched in that game, and they all did pretty good jobs out of the bullpen. Uh, offensively, Maryland couldn't get anything going against the Coastal starter, Anthony Veneziano. They finally scratched a couple runs in the seventh inning on a Randy Bednar two-run single. Maryland loaded the bases later in that inning but couldn't score again and didn't score again the rest of the game. So it was a 7-2 loss to uh, what appears to be a really good Coastal team that will probably dominate its conference again and have a really good shot at hosting a regional again. Yeah, that was a really good team, obviously. And what you take out of that game if you're Maryland is obviously you did play a better team and you got beat by a better team. But what you take out of that is after Thompson left that game with the five earned runs, the bullpen came in and five guys combined to give up just one earned run. They gave up two, but the one to O'Connor was unearned. So just one earned run between those five relievers, as you said, O'Connor, Phillips, Glock, Vale, and DeLuya, three of them making their Terrapins debut as well and looked good doing so. So I think that gave the Terps a little bit of confidence. And I think what was big about that game, it gave all those pitchers confidence going into Sunday. And who it really helped was Will Glock, who had to come back out again and pitch in a big spot on Sunday, and he had already gotten his feet wet at the D1 level and gotten some confidence on Saturday night, and I think that helped the Terps against VCU. One thing quickly I forgot to mention about Campbell, um, you know, proving maybe how good of a team Campbell is. They went and last night beat a top 15 team in East Carolina in a midweek game. So Campbell's, you know, a pretty darn good team. That was a huge win for them last night. So Maryland shouldn't be hanging their heads about losing to a team of that quality. Just quickly back to the Coastal game, one of the bigger uh, issues, Connor, for Maryland was defense. They had four errors in the game, only had four hits. Same number of errors and hits, you're probably never going to win. Yeah, it wasn't great, and the Terps made some tough plays in the infield, some throwing errors, a, a throw from Sebastian Holtimancera behind home plate after he had just caught a runner stealing at second, tries to back pick a guy at first, and he ends up at third base. It was just some... Tough decisions by the Terps infielders especially and didn't make some great defensive plays. And the outfield defense struggled as well on really Friday and Saturday. But, again, I feel like the Terps kind of pulled things together on Sunday against VCU. For sure. The Terps got back on the horse and won their first game in the 2019 season on Sunday against VCU. They won 5-3. Before we talk about the offense, let's think about this pitching staff a little bit. The plan going into the game was to use Tyler Blome like an opener. Give him one time through the order. That's exactly what they did. He faced nine batters, went two and a third, two hits, one run, walked two, hit a batter, didn't strike anyone out. It's not the most impressive stat line in the world, but 
He gave the Terps one time through the order, only gave up one run, and when he left, Maryland was ahead. So this wasn't a freshman year or sophomore year, frankly, Tyler Blome's start when he could give you six and ten strikeouts, but he did the job that was asked of him on that day. Yeah, he did, and you can tell he's still recovering from that injury, still coming back. The velocity wasn't near what it's been for him, but he, he was pitching pretty well, locating his pitches fairly well, and again, as you said, through two and a third, just the one run again. Without a strikeout, so you can tell his stuff isn't where he wants it to be yet, but he did a solid job, and the Terps just turned it over to a bunch of pitchers out of the bullpen and said, get us some outs, and all those guys out of the Terps bullpen really came in and got some key, key outs for Maryland on the pitching side. And I think I said this to you in the booth on Sunday after Tyler left the game, but this might be tough for him right now. I mean, by his second, third inning of work, his velocity was way down. But when he gets his stuff back, this stretch is going to benefit him in the long run because right now he's really learning how to pitch. Yeah, and he was already a guy who knew how to pitch pretty well using his breaking ball off his fastball. But now when you just don't have that fastball velocity, you really have to mix well and locate well when you don't have that velocity with you and try and get guys off balance with a pitch that's frankly with much less velocity than you usually throw it in his fastball. And I think he showed promise that he could do that on Sunday, and hopefully he can continue to do that if he keeps pitching in kind of a similar role for the Terps going forward until he becomes fully healthy. So after Blome, it was Trevor Labonte who made his Maryland debut. Um, it was a little bit uneven for Labonte. Went inning in a third, walked three batters, had a couple wild pitches, gave up a couple runs. So the game was tied when Labonte left. Actually, Maryland was losing 3-2 to two when Labonte left, excuse me. But after that, the next five guys who pitched, pitched very well for Maryland. Sean Fisher got a couple outs, looked better than he did on Friday. Nick Turnbull, who got the win in the game for Maryland, an inning and two-thirds, scoreless, two strikeouts. And I think of all the offensive stars that Maryland had this weekend, I think the five outs they got from Nick Turnbull might have been the most impressive thing we saw this weekend because I think he very quickly displayed the best stuff on the staff, maybe by far. Yeah, and I think the best pitch we saw, we saw a 93-mile-per-hour sinker from Nick Turnbull that started at a batter's knees, ended up in the dirt, got a swing and a miss, and he showed off the breaking ball as well. But 93 with sink at the D1 level, I mean, that is a pitch that's going to get you a lot of guys out and is going to get you a lot of looks from the next level as well as he looked very, very good in his Terps debut on Sunday, one of this, one of the JUCO transfers on this Terrapins team. And he looks like he's going to be a dangerous weapon for the Terps. And I think throughout the season, John Murphy is still going to be the Terps closer, probably start to finish being a senior. But Turnbull could be that guy who pitches in kind of a Kevin Biondic role from last season where he can get you out in the seventh, get you out in the eighth, and if you really need it, can come in and get you out in the ninth inning as well. After uh, it was Turnbull who pitched well, Maryland got a couple outs from Sean Hine. Then Will Glock came in with two out and two on in the seventh inning, got a massive strikeout. He looked very good this weekend in his two outings, as you said. And then John Murphy, uh, again uneven in his two innings. He picked up the save, two scoreless, three strikeouts. You love that. He did walk three and hit a batter. You don't necessarily love that, but it was good to see Murphy back on the mound for Maryland after finishing up that suspension from last year in the first two games. And I think Maryland's excited about him in the back end of the bullpen, as you said. Uh, the overall takeaway, I thought, from the weekend for Maryland pitching, I think it's twofold. On the positive side, 
They have way more guys than last year. They pitched more people this weekend than they did the entire season last year, and a bunch of them showed good stuff and maybe the ability to avoid bats. However, the number of free passes, I think you would have to describe as alarming for Maryland this weekend. On Sunday against VCU, 11 walks and hit-by-pitches. Saturday against Coastal, 10 walks and hit-by-pitches. And Friday against Campbell, 13 walks and hit-by-pitches. That's more than one an inning for the weekend. Yeah, that's a lot of free passes, and obviously the Terps are going to have to cut down on those. But we saw some Terps have some good strikeout stuff as well as some a lot of walks. So, you know, you'd like to keep the strikeouts, get rid of the walks a little bit. But there are some pitchers that the Terps have and a lot of teams have who are just going to walk guys and going to strike out a lot of guys. But you'd like to get the walks down a little bit because really, you know, these teams this weekend didn't put the ball in play too, too much. It was a lot of guys on base. The Terps were giving up with the walks and the hit by pitch. And we talked to Corey Muscara before Sunday's game. Um, or before Saturday's game, and he said that the Terps were, you know, trying to pitch in a little bit, especially when Hunter Parsons hit Matthew Barefoot of Campbell a couple of times on Friday. Barefoot actually got hit three times in the game, and the Terps were trying to pitch in, so sometimes that will lead to hit-by-pitches, and it seems like this coaching staff is okay with that, but the walks are a little different when, you know, they're just missing the strike zone. So Maryland got its runs in the VCU game. In the first inning, Maxwell Costas had a sacrifice fly, Taylor Wright in the third inning after VCU had tied it at one, had a bunt RBI single to make it 2-1 Maryland. Terps fell behind 3-2 in the fourth. Then Sebastian Holtimancera, who was catching in place of Justin Vogt, who had gotten hurt on Friday, had a big RBI double to tie the game in the sixth. And then it was the star of the weekend, I think, offensively, who came through the next two times for Maryland. Randy Bednar, an RBI single, also in the sixth inning to put the Terps ahead. And then in the eighth inning, Bednar added a little insurance with another RBI single. He was great this weekend offensively. Yeah, and it seems like his swing has changed so much. He, it's not that he's lost any power, but he's shortened it up. He's quicker to the ball. His stance looks different, and he just looks like a much, much better hitter. Obviously, drove in the two big ones on Sunday against VCU. Had the Terps only two RBIs on that single. On Saturday against Coastal Carolina, he doubled once and walked three times Friday against Campbell. I mean, Bednar was great all weekend from the right side of the plate, and he looks like he's going to be a big contributor in the top of the Terps lineup. And that number two spot looks like it's going to be pretty good for Bednar going forward in the Terps lineup. So some of the stars from the weekend as a whole in which Maryland went one and two, we mentioned Bednar. Overall, he went four for ten, drove in four runs, walked five times against only two strikeouts. Taylor Wright goes four for 11 with a couple RBIs. And Caleb Walls, the new leadoff hitter for Maryland, 4 for 11, a homer, walked three times himself. Maxwell Costas making his debut as a Terp this weekend, had three hits, and Justin Vogt homered in the opener. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to play on Saturday or Sunday, but that top part of the lineup, one through five when Vogt is in there, looked really, really good all weekend. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big, big part of this Terps lineup. Walls, Bednar, Wright, Vogt, and then... It seems like when Vote is back healthy, then Costas probably is that number five hitter up there. He was hitting seventh when Vote was healthy and in the game on Friday when Vote was hitting in the cleanup spot. But those five guys did great this weekend. And really on Sunday, you know, Friday and Saturday, we talked about how the Terps didn't really get any, you know, um, contribution from the bottom of the lineup. But on Sunday, things changed, and you had Sebastian Holti Monsera got on base three times, had an RBI double. Chris Aline got his first start. He got on base three out of four times and laid down a nice sacrifice bunt, worked a couple of walks and scored a run. So you had some of these guys at the bottom of the lineup. Ben Cowles had a big double 
in the sixth inning and came around to score on Sunday. So the bottom of the lineup did better against VCU. But as you said, it's really the top of this Terps lineup. They look like they have some very dangerous hitters. Pitching-wise, Hunter Parsons threw the ball well on Friday, like we said. Blom did his job on Sunday. Zach Thompson, you know, an iffy start on Saturday. Out of the bullpen, Murphy, Turnbull, O'Connor, Hine, Glock, Vale, Deluia all gave the Terps a couple of outs without giving up runs. And sometimes ERA doesn't uh, tell the whole story. After this weekend, Elliott Zollner's 0-1 with a 15.43 ERA, and that's one of the most unfair things I've ever seen. Yeah, he. Uh, I would say Nick Turnbull impressed the most. I would say Elliott Zollner impressed the second most for the Terps this weekend. And as you said, baseball a cruel game sometimes as he now has the highest ERA on the team after one weekend. And frankly, I thought he was the second most impressive pitcher, maybe the most impressive pitcher out of the Terps bullpen. So hopefully if he keeps throwing like he did in those eighth and ninth innings against Campbell on Friday, that ERA will go down quickly for Elliott Solner, who looks like he's really figured out that sidearm arm slot with the fastball and the Frisbee slider. So that was sort of a recap of the one and two weekend that Maryland had down in Conway, South Carolina. One of the stars from the weekend, as we mentioned, was Caleb Walls, who was the leadoff hitter for all three games for Maryland in his first season as a Terp, as a junior college transfer. And Connor had a chance to sit down with Caleb this week to discuss what it's been like in College Park so far. Fly ball, pretty deep left field. Barefoot's going back, he's at the track, he looks up and it's gone! A solo home run, oppo taco from Caleb Walls. What a start to his Maryland career, and it's 2-0 Terps. So Caleb, thanks for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, and I want to start with your weekend down in Coastal. Obviously the Terps as a team only got the one victory against VCU on Sunday, but you started your college career with a bang, with a home run early in that first game. You got on base a lot. How are you feeling after your first weekend with the Terps? Yeah, I feel good. Um, I'm really excited. Um, we didn't get the results we wanted uh, this weekend, um, but I think we're going to handle all three games against Maine. And I talked to you before, I believe it was Saturday's game, about just the w different ways you want to get on base, and that seemed to show itself all weekend. I mean, is that where you feel comfortable, kind of being in that leadoff spot and being a guy who's just going to get on base any way he can? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, coming in, uh, I wanted to hit leadoff for this team. I knew, you know, A.J. Lee hit leadoff last year, you know, great ball player. Um, so I knew I was going to have to fight for it over the fall. Um, and, it, you know, had a good preseason. And, uh, you know, I'm just really fortunate to be in that leadoff spot. And for you coming into that spot, when did you find out that's where you'd be in the lineup? Was it Friday when the card came out, or did Coach Vaughn or Coach Swope kind of tell you that in advance? Um, you, know, we, you know, we've been inter-squatting before the season. Um, so I just found myself there in a few inner squads, um, you know, and I was hitting the ball well. I was getting on base a lot, uh, like you said. Um, so I didn't officially know until he put that lineup card out. Um, but when I saw my name at the top of that list, it felt pretty good. So let's kind of go back to the start of your college career because you're now at your third school with the Terrapins. So things started at the D1 level for you at George Mason. So kind of initially what went into that decision to play for the Patriots and then, you know, maybe changing directions in your college career after leaving George Mason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, I had a great experience at George Mason. Um, you know, I got to play my freshman year a little bit. Um, you know, it's one of those things Coach Vaughn always talks about. You know, you never know when your name's going to get called. So about halfway through the season, our left fielder, um, unfortunately, tore his labrum. And, you know, from that point on, I pretty much found myself um, in the starting spot in the outfield. And then, you know, going into that, 
after George Mason, you go to Pasco Hernando, Juco. What is what goes into a D1 player finding a junior college? Because it seems like some guys will stay from where they're from or what's close to their original school. What goes into finding a school like that? Because there's just so many across the country. Yeah, um, when I initially told the coaches that I was going to be leaving the program, I really had no idea uh, where I was going to go. I had a few friends that played junior college ball in Florida, so I knew, you know, I want to go to Florida. That's where the best junior college is. Um, so I actually had told my summer coach that I was looking for a junior college still that I wasn't going back to George Mason. And he said, well, you know, we're playing, you know, Lyndon Coleman's team um, tonight. You know, he's a, the assistant coach at Pasco Hernando down in Florida. So I was like, what did you come? I mean, that's where I want to go. I had a good game. Um, we talked for about a week, and at that point he offered me a scholarship, and I was like, said, let's do this. So going into that, you know, JUCO scenario coming from coming from George Mason, obviously you had a very good season at the JUCO level last year. I mean, hitting almost 400, getting on base almost 500. You know, what was kind of you thought the biggest difference when you got there from the D1 level to the junior college level, you thought? Uh, you definitely have to be grittier. You know, you don't have, you know, all these nice things. You know, we didn't get a lot of gear. Um, I think we got, like, a pair of shorts and a practice shirt, and that was pretty much the extent of that. Um, so you just don't, you know, you don't have the cool stuff. You don't really have the facilities. Um, you know, we had, you know, one batting cage. Uh, you know, the L screen had holes in it. So, you know, you were kind of thrown to your buddies, but you, like, ducked back <laughs> behind it. You know, you're dodging bullets in there. Um, but... You know, it's just a lot. It's just repetition. You know, um, just getting as many reps as you can, because um, that's really all you're down there to do is just get reps. Um, you know, hone your skills and you know, find a new home. And what does that do for a player going through a year like that, especially when you start at the D1 level at a solid program like George Mason? Then you kind of go through that where you said you got to be a little more gritty of a guy. H how did that help you going to your next step here in Maryland? Uh, well, I definitely appreciate everything we have here a lot more. I mean, the facilities are awesome. Um, you know, like the snack counter in the weight room. We didn't even have that at George Mason. Um, we were lucky if we got protein shakes most of the time. Um, you know, and just, you know, just all the, the staff that's around the team, just so many more people travel. So, you know, that was eye-opening, like that there was, you know, so much more to college baseball than what I'd been used to. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, it just makes me grateful for the opportunity to be here um, and to play with, you know, this group of guys and just a great coaching staff. And, you know, let's – Maybe keep this one PG because I've heard some ones from different JUCO guys that maybe aren't. <laughs> but th is there a story that you would tell people that kind of sums up a JUCO baseball experience for you? Um, so we were, you know, in the hit, in the batting cage, and we were flipping balls before the game. Our coaches would never get in the batting cage because they knew it was like a death trap. <laughs> so they would say, "I go flip to each other, whatever." And you know, someone hits a ball, ricochets, drills are one of our outfielders in the shin and his shin started to blow up. Um, and we were like, ah, oh, no, we're not, we're not hitting in here anymore. Like it's too dangerous. And, uh, they're like, well, you need to get your reps in. So, you know, someone else is just flipping next thing you know, drilled in the head. So then, uh, after that, our one coach, coach beats, he's just like, he's a legendary, uh, high school coach in the Florida area. He was in there, you know, throwing to us, whatever, same day, two kids already got hit. And next thing you know, he gets hit. And after that, he's like, nope, we're not doing it. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's kind of like the Wild West out there. You know, you, the coaches just kind of do what they want. You just kind of got to put up with it. Um, have you heard anything crazier than that from some of the, especially some of the Terp teammates who I know have come from some different JUCOs? Oh, yeah. Uh, they put all the JUCO kids together here, so we definitely swap <laughs> some stories. So there's definitely some crazy ones floating around.
And so you're at the junior college level, and at what point were you first contacted by Maryland? When did that start, the recruiting process with Rob Vaughn and Matt Swope and all this Maryland coaching staff? Yeah, yeah, my situation was uh, a little unusual. I, you know, it was uh, late June, uh, early July when they first contacted me, so that's pretty late. Um, most people, you know, from the JUCO level know where they're going, ideally by the end of the season. So I was just waiting because it just hadn't found the right fit yet. And I knew that, you know, the right opportunity would present itself. So it's, you know, I got a call from my JUCO coach saying, hey, I just got off the phone with, you know, Coach Mascara from Maryland. Um, he's going to be giving you a call. And it was like 9 a.m. at that point. Like, he woke me up. I was still in bed. He hangs up the phone. Next thing I know, you know, Moose is on the phone saying they're looking for an outfielder. What's a wake-up call at 9 a.m. from Moose like? Uh, Spe especially the first time <laughs> talking to him. <laughs> well, my coach, my JUCO coach warned me. He's like, hey, he's going to bring a lot of energy. So just like, you know. Be ready. Um, no, it was a great conversation. Um, you know, I was really excited. You know, it's, you know, an opportunity I could only dream for. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was just, you know, really excited. I was on the phone. My parents actually saying, oh, you, you know, I just got a call from Maryland. Like, they're going to come down and see me in a few days. Uh, and so then Coach Swope, you know, shows up at a game, um, watched me take BP. Uh, and then he's, I remember he stayed for two ABs. So I think it was maybe like three innings. And... I didn't get a hit in either of those at-bats. I swung at the first pitch of the game and hit a fly ball to right. And then the second at-bat, I think I hit a hard ground ball right at an infielder and got out. And then he left. And I was, like, looking up in the stands. I was like, I think he left. I think he left. So then, you know, I was talking to a few other guys. I was like, well, this can go one of two ways. He either really liked what he saw or he didn't like what he saw. Um, and I was just, you know, I just knew that, you know, there's more than just, you know, getting hits. It's about the process and how you go about the game. Um, and he sent me a text, and he said, you know, I love, you know, how you go about the game. Uh, you know, c communication, aggression. Um, you can swing the bat. Um, so, thankfully, he liked what he saw that day. And then, you know, that obviously sold them on you, but what ended up selling you on Maryland after that before you officially decided you were going to become a Terp? Uh, I mean, the second um, I got that call, you know, I knew Maryland was going to be a great opportunity. It's just a well-respected uh, baseball program, well-respected school. Um, you know, they'd made those runs, you know, in 2015, 16, 14, 15. 14, 15. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, got to brush <laughs> up on that. Um, but they made those runs, so they definitely, um, you know, were you know, at the top of their game. And, uh, you know, we're still at the top of our game. We're still looking to, you know, make a run for playoffs here. And so, obviously, now – at Maryland, you have a great weekend, but and you know that your season starts very well in 2019, your first season as a Terp. But you go back to during your junior college season, and as you said, it was kind of very late in the process for you. Did you ever start to worry late in that process when you hadn't really found the right spot for you? You know, it it did cross my mind, but I just kept telling myself, you know, like you did what you needed to do. You know, you hit well, you put in the work. Um, you just got to trust the process, and the right school will pop up. I, you know, I talked to a few other schools, um, but it just wasn't, you know, anything I was ready to pull the trigger yet. Um, but, you know, luckily it w all worked out. And now that you're with this Maryland team, obviously been with them the entire fall and the Terps three games into the year this year, a lot of new faces, including yourself on this team from last year. And obviously it's been still kind of an era of turnover in Coach Rob Vaughn's only his second season as the head coach. You know, coming in as an outsider of this program, what, what have you seen from the culture of this team and just – some of the young talent that's on this Maryland team. Yeah, I mean, the, the culture is just awesome. You know, we have some coaches that, you know, they really care about not just us as players, but as people. 
um, and they try to teach us habits and skills that we can carry on throughout baseball, you know, because at the end of the day, baseball is not who we are, it's what we do. You know, so life goes on after that. So Coach Vaughn always says, you know, I want to try and, you know, grow the best men, husbands, sons um, that I can. And now that you've gotten here to Maryland, you get up there in your second at-bat as a Terp, and you hit what we have concluded officially, unofficially, as the first home run of the D1 college baseball season on Friday against Campbell. But when you get up there, what would you say kind of explains your approach at the plate? Um, you know, we talk a lot about approach. I'm um, just being aggressive on fastballs, uh, especially early in the count. You know, that's the best time we're going to get a nice hittable fastball. Um, so just attacking fastballs um, and just, you know, staying quiet and trying to drive the ball uh, through the outfielders. And, you know, we can go away from baseball a little bit here because I got some things to ask you. And first of all, I got to bring up your brother Harrison, who plays at the Division Three level. And over the weekend leading up to the Maryland baseball season had changed his name on Twitter to the Maryland baseball hype man. And he was very hyped for this Maryland season. Now, you guys are twin brothers, and has this been kind of a thing with you guys just supporting uh, each other's baseball careers throughout your careers? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're both very close. Um, Harrison, I know you're going to be listening to this, so congratulations. You already made it episode one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've just always, you know, we're really close. We've just always, you know, cheered each other on and had each other's backs. Um, and he's, you know, fully embraced uh, the Maryland gig, so I'm glad he's having fun with it. Yeah, it's good to see that he's another fan on board now. Are we going to see you become the Wooster baseball hype man uh, <laughs> on, on the flip side? I mean, I feel like I have to now. The pressure's on. Um, and then speaking of Twitter, I think the most interesting thing in your Twitter bio, the fastest minister in baseball. Can you explain that one? Uh, the fastest minister in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I just went online one day and got my got ordained on some website um and then i actually had the pleasure to uh officiate my dad's ceremony um which you know i got it before just you know for fun um but i got to do that so that was a cool experience um but yeah i mean i'm pretty fast and uh you know i just you know officially unofficially official fastest minister in northern hemisphere and now i want to give you some time to you know do your sales pitch for anyone who's looking for an ordained minister w what should they know about caleb walls and possibly having you officiate their wedding uh that you know i can do any kind of ceremony you want um any religion i can even make you an official jedi <laughs> so if anyone wants that um i'm cheap and uh yeah i can get it done so, Caleb, finally the Terps back at home this weekend to kick off the home slate against the Maine Black Bears, which the weather's looking okay. I feel like it might be a warm-weather game for Maine coming down from there. They don't play a lot of home games. But going into this weekend, you get back to Bob Turtle Smith Stadium. And what do you guys look for this weekend? What are the goals against this Maine team? Yeah, um, yeah, it'll be nice. Hopefully the snow gets away. Um, but we're just looking to play uh, more clean baseball, uh, you know, handle the little things. Um, that's really what – you know, we think hurt us um, opening weekend against Campbell, against Coastal. Um, so just, you know, handling the baseball, making the plays we need to make, um, you know, execute plays, um, and I think we'll handle business. And you look up and down this lineup, I mean, it's it's a mix of some veterans and some younger guys, but it seems like Maryland this year has some guys that can hit. So what's kind of that excitement level from all the hitters, knowing one through nine? You got some guys that can get on base. Yeah, it's definitely nice, and it makes things a lot more fun. Um, you know, when we get going as an offense, everyone just feeds off each other. Um, so it's a lot of fun to you know, just go through that, you know, be the spark that lights the uh, fire is what uh, Coach Swope says. Um, so we have a lot of fun with it. 
Um, and it, you know, makes your job easier knowing that, hey, if I don't get the job done, the guy behind me is going to pick me up. Well, Caleb, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast and wish you good luck against the Black Bears this weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So, Connor, a, a pretty interesting guy in Caleb Walls that's at the top of the order for Maryland this season. What were some, some of the coolest things you think you learned from that interview? I mean, Walls definitely one of the more interesting guys on this Terrapin team. I mean, he was so excited, first of all, just to do that interview. <laughs> um, give a shout-out to his brother Harrison, who I'm sure will be listening to the podcast, um, who is the Maryland baseball hype man, self-proclaimed. Yes. Um, and especially that Caleb Walls, I mean, became went online one day, just became an ordained minister, and ended up officiating his dad's wedding. So just a really interesting guy at the top of the Terps lineup. And all in all, the big thing, I mean, he was such a late um, sign for the Terps, as you heard in that interview. He didn't really get contacted by Maryland until – June and you know into July of this summer that was after his Juco season had ended he was already playing summer ball and he said the Terps only saw him play in summer ball so that was really kind of a late in the recruiting process for him to become a Terp but obviously so far it's worked out so well he came in and has locked down that leadoff position so far for the Terps and through three games he's been a great addition to this team. So this weekend Maryland will have the home opening series against the Maine Black Bears Due to impending weather on Saturday, the uh, the schedule has been changed. It'll be a doubleheader on Friday and the one game on Sunday. The Friday doubleheader will start at 1 o'clock, and then 30 minutes or so after that, they'll play the second game. Um, also works out well so we can go to the basketball game on Saturday. That's a uh, selfish thing for us, although I'm not sure you got a ticket. Isn't it sold out? Go Terps. I did get one. Oh, you we, did? Yes. We uh, we have secured one. Uh, somebody, somebody returned their ticket, so Fantastic. I pounced. Fantastic. Um, so uh, Connor and I can go to the basketball game yes. together. Go Wonderful. Terps. Uh, Maine will be here on Friday. The Black Bears are 0-4 so far this season. They went down to play a ranked titan of college baseball, Florida State, in Tallahassee this weekend. Played four games Went 0-4, out, got outscored 42-9 in the four-game sweep. Got no hit on opening day by three pitchers. So not the best start to the season for Maine, obviously. We were worried that they were going to be coming down from Maine and, ooh, this might be a warm-weather series for them. They might be excited about it. But coming up from Florida, there's no doubt this they will also be cold. Yeah, everybody's going to be cold. Yeah. Uh, Sunday looks like it could be okay. Maybe some rain in the forecast, but we're looking at the 60s. Uh, Friday, we're looking at the 40s for 18 innings, possibly plus, of baseball between the Terps and the Black Bears. But as you said, you know, they go down for a tough series. They did the same thing last year. They went down to Texas Tech to start the season, a top 10 team, and got swept in four games. Did the same thing at Florida State. They were really only in one of those four games. That was the one they got walked off on in one of the games, or the second game of the doubleheader. And that was a seven-inning game. Yeah, and that was a seven-inning game on Saturday against the Seminoles. They actually had the lead in the seventh in that one and lost. But obviously tough for them to go down there and not leave with a victory, and they'll be hungry for one against the Terps this weekend. So Maine last season went 20-34, and 12-12 and 12 in the America East. Got a couple wins in the America East tournament as the number five seed, but bowed out with a couple losses to Stony Brook. They really struggled on the road last year going 9-24. and 24. The year before that, they went 1-18 on the road. 
this program has not had a winning season since 2013. So it's been a very long time since Maine has put together a quality campaign. And Nick Durba, who's in his third season as the head coach there, is looking to turn things around. He's sort of similar to Rob Vaughn in that, in that he spent five years as an assistant coach at Maine before being promoted to the head coach. He's sort of had a really weird vault to a head coaching division one role, to be honest. He started his career at a, as a volunteer assistant at his alma mater of Manhattan. After one year there, he went to go be a summer coach with the Chatham Anglers in the Cape Cod Baseball League, gets hired from there as the assistant coach at Maine, and five years later, he's the head coach. Yeah, he ends up being the head coach at age 33. And just like Rob Vaughn, he's one of the five youngest head coaches in college baseball right now. So a couple of young minds will be out on the diamond this weekend between Maine and Maryland. And as you said, you talked about their last winning season was in 2013. They won the America East regular season that year, but lost in the tournament. They haven't been to the NCAA since 2011. And this was a team who has a pretty rich history of baseball. I mean, Back in the 1980s, they went to the College World Series five times in that decade. So this used to be a very, very strong program. Obviously, haven't been to the NCAAs since 2011. So they're looking to get back there. And obviously, their path is through the America East winning the A-East tournament. And, you know, they had some success in it last year. But you also talked about the away games, 9-24. and 24. If that seems like a lot of away games, it is. They only played 12 home games last season. I believe they have 16 on the schedule this year just hard to play games in Maine when it's so cold for most of the season. Frankly, Maine struggled in every facet of the game this weekend against Florida State, and you have to take all of this with a grain of salt because it's Florida State. However, nobody hit over 222. That was a regular starter. The best production they got was from Hernan Sardinas, who was 3 for 14 with a couple RBIs this weekend. So Maine struggled to hit for average, obviously. Didn't score a whole ton of runs. The team ERA is 11.27 after the first weekend of the season. So uh, that's pretty difficult. They didn't get much good starting pitching. Uh, the four starters they had, the lowest ERA after one weekend is 8.10. And the lowest whip is... 1.33 so that's all very high it's also all very skewed because it's one weekend but Maine does return a number of guys who had really good years last year and Danny Casals is the leader of this offense he's the fifth rated draft prospect in the America East unanimous first team all conference last year hit over 300 14 homers nearly 50 RBIs walked 32 times and he only hit 201 this summer in the Cape with or on the Cape with Harwich, but he had three home runs and 22 RBIs, which is good production, and then those, those really big fields that they play out out on the Cape. So uh, him and Sardinas are the two leaders of the offense for me. Yeah, you name an offensive category. Danny Casales probably led Maine in it last season, and the 14 homers and the 49 RBIs, that led all of the America East last year. And he hit 304 with a 407 on base, and he was just very, very good. Now he's going in to his senior season, his final year with Maine, honestly. Obviously, as you said, he is a draft prospect and should see his name called at some point this June in the draft after his senior season concludes. But he's had a great career so far. Had a little bit of an injury issue back in 2017, but other than that, he's been in the starting lineup every day his whole career 
for Maine, and he is going to be really the hitter the Terps look at. He's a little bit similar to Matthew Barefoot. Doesn't have the you know coverage around him as much as Barefoot did, but similar to a, ma- a mid-major team who has one guy who is really their big draft prospect, has had a great career, and is really going to be the hitter on the team. That's kind of Casals as Barefoot was for Campbell on Friday for the Terps. And then they have some other guys around them who, as you said, they're going to hit a little bit. Um, they got a freshman, Jake Roper, who hit a grand slam in game two of that doubleheader against Florida State. He's got some power, an outfielder who found himself into the lineup, and some other guys who can hit the ball, but the guy to look for is Danny Casals. On the mound, we have starters for the first two games remain a, a, a to-be-determined for the third game. Same thing uh, for Maryland. It'll be Parsons the first game Friday, Thompson the second game Friday, and then we'll see about Sunday. It will be Cody Lawyer Ison. I, I don't know how to say that right now. Uh, it's spelled like lawyer and then a Y and then a son. So Cody Lawyer Ison maybe. Um, Lawyer Ison. We'll see. We'll get it right on Friday when we talk to people from Maine. But he moves out of the bullpen from last season where, when he had a 3.42 ERA and 52 and two-thirds. 52 strikeouts against only nine walks last season. So he has good control for a team that – really struggled with its control last year. They walked nearly 300 batters last season and hit 90, which was the sixth most in the country. The second game for Maine, Peter Kemble will get the uh, the start for them. Neither of those guys pitched all that well this weekend. Kemble pitched only 13, last, 13 innings last year. His ERA was almost nine, so he is somebody that needs to make a big step for Maine and then the third game we would think it's going to be one of the two guys that started for Maine this weekend against Florida State that'll either be Matt Pushard or Nick Silva Silva is in his third year as a member of the starting rotation if he in fact remains in the starting rotation struggled last year his ERA was over six and then Pushard who was a huge part of the bullpen in 2017 had an ERA of one flat in 18 innings. He was great. Last year, pitched an inning and two-thirds, scoreless on the road against Texas Tech, hurt his arm, missed the the rest of the year, took a medical redshirt, but one of those two guys we would expect uh, would start for them. Yeah, and you you talk about those two guys, and Pushard had some success a couple years ago, and really Silva, the only guy who's been a part of the rotation really before. I mean, Kemble made only two starts last season, so he got a couple of spot starts, and as you said, Lawyerson – which is what the pronunciation I'm going to go with for now. We'll see what it really is. Uh, Four starts last year in 21 appearances. So he got a a little bit of starting uh, pitching last season, but those are going to be the top two guys, as you said. So, and they didn't really go deep into these games. It was because they did get hit around by the Seminoles, but you know, these guys went three innings, three and a third in their starts last weekend. So, I mean, if you look though at Thompson and Bloom, they did kind of the same thing for the Terps and Parsons only went five, but they really didn't get deep into games, and this bullpen was a huge question for Maine last year, a team that struggled, as you said, so many walks, gave up so many free passes last year. So that is a question mark for this Black Bears team, and obviously they want these starters to go a little bit deeper into the game this weekend against Maryland. Most of the pitchers struggled for Maine this weekend. There were two very bright spots. Trevor DeLate went three and two-thirds scoreless with seven strikeouts and two appearances against Florida State, and Nick Sinicola, a freshman, Five hitless, scoreless innings with five strikeouts out of the bullpen and one appearance against FSU. He is the America East freshman of the week for good reason. So two bullpen arms that did a great job for Maine. They just need the starting rotation 
obviously to be better against Maryland this weekend. And when you flip it over to look at the Terps side of things, look back at last year when the Terps had this same second weekend cold home series. They were coming off taking two of three at Tennessee. Things were looking great. And then they dropped one of two against, you know, uh, an Army team that Maryland would hope to sweep on most occasions. Maine, probably not as good as Army was last year. The Terps are coming off a one and two weekend as opposed to two and one last year. But I think this is a team that Maryland would really, really like to sweep because Maine looks like it's going to struggle this season. And we're not saying that because of an 0-4 weekend against Florida State. We're saying that because of, um, you know, what the guys have done in the past that are on the roster and so on and so forth. But I, once again, this is a series that Maryland would really like to sweep. I think the double header might work against the Terps a little bit just because of it being very tough in baseball to sweep double headers. Yeah, and obviously you do want the sweep. You talk about that, that Army team last year. You kind of felt like the Terps needed more than one win. Army did end up making the NCAA tournament last season. They had a good year, but as you said, Maine, a lot of turnover, especially in the starting rotation. We talked about their top two starters combined to make only six starts last year. They had a lot of turnover pitching-wise for Maine this season. So you look at this team, and this is a team that the Terps would really, really like to sweep. And you know on the other side, the Black Bears, after getting sw swept one weekend, they don't want to start 0-7 their season but this will be a big chance for the Terps to get three wins then you have your first midweek against VCU before going down to Louisiana Lafayette in a couple weeks but this would be a big weekend for the Terps if they could get three wins and I think as you said not not you know you don't go into this weekend saying oh if we don't get a sweep it's a failure but you're looking at this weekend as a big chance to get three wins at home so once again it's now a double header on Friday one o'clock and then somewhere around four o'clock it'll be 30 minutes after the first game ends then on Sunday the teams will play at 1 p.m. obviously barring any weather issues and it seems like there are always weather issues they've already played a factor into this weekend schedule and this might be a first for us Connor we're gonna have to uh probably wake up a little bit earlier than we'd like for a Friday game yeah Friday game at one o'clock uh we've had a couple of those in the past games. and I'd just like to point out it's not like we normally sleep till one o'clock we get there like two and a half hours before the game right and we've had a couple of those in the past with some impending Friday night rain having right. games moved up but yeah a couple of earlier games this weekend to start at one and then obviously Sunday will start at one o'clock as well but Hopefully the earlier start means it's a little warmer. It's only supposed to get around in the mid-40s tomorrow if you're coming to the ballpark. Um, but if you think that's a little too cold for you, obviously you can listen to the Maryland Baseball Network. Absolutely. So 12.30 pregame on Friday, uh, and then the second game will be 30 minutes after the first ends. 12.30 pregame again on Sunday, 1 o'clock first pitch for the final game of the series. So that wraps up. This episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we thank Caleb Walls once again for joining us. Hope you enjoyed Connor's chat with him and all the coverage as always here on the NBN pod. So for my partner, Connor Newcomb, and our entire Maryland Baseball Network staff, I'm Justin Galanti saying so long and see you this weekend when the Terps take on Maine.